Ooh, I like that when you drink a shot of schnapps and it like goes warm all the way down and you can like trace it. it. It's kind of like the magic school bus. You can like go into the magic school bus and go into the esophagus and into the stomach. That is probably where they got the magic school bus body episode. Yeah. They took a shot. They took a shot and they were like, you know what would be a good idea? (laughs) We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. And welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. Mom just turned away from the microphone and then very dramatically turned back so she could start. <laughs> it was like she had to put on her radio voice. It's like that thing you used to do with a little kid when you like took your hand <laughs> yeah, and started at the top like, of your head and then you're smiling a, and you go down and then you frown. It's a different you expression. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ready for podcast now. One, three, two, <laughs> one, go. We're professionals, baby. Oh, yeah. How are you, Anna? I'm doing okay. I'm a little embarrassed that I wasn't downstairs when you got to the house because I was playing this stupid game that I've had. (laughs) It's okay. Does it bring you pleasure? It really, it's very cute. Does it hurt anyone? It's adorable. It doesn't hurt anyone. It's called Feral, F-E-R dot A-L. I found it when I was researching the Feral Children episode. (laughs) So I just, it like you go around and gather little ingredients and you're like a little fox character and you, you use the ingredients to make little clothes for your fox. Like I was very, I was very into gathering ingredients for a witch hat when you interrupted. So oh, I'm so was, sorry. So and you, you play little finish? games, like there's a little game where you like earn currency. Mm-hmm. It's truly adorable. Is there like an age limit on this game? Okay, that's <laughs> I really don't know who it's for because there's a lock picking mini game that's super difficult. And so I'm like playing this like, Nathan, is this for children? This is not for children. Who is this for? I was playing it because it was for children, but now it's a little hard. But now it's not. Now it's hard. I don't like it. That's a good question, though. Do they, like, put age, you know, on, on those kind of games when you, they I say, mean, like, recommended for? No, not for, like, online game. It's like a multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. So usually it's like, are you 13 or over? Great. You can be on the site. So, oh. but, I mean. It's kind of scary. It's not like they say, we need to see your birth certificate. You can yeah. just be like, yeah, I'm 13 or over. <laughs> yeah, that's like those websites where they say. Are you 18 or over You or have to be 18 to go on through or this. Put and on like, your well, birth put, put in your birth date or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, I was born in 1900. And they're like, you're old enough. <laughs> wow, you're old. <laughs> wow. You're 120. You can look at all the porn you want. <laughs> if that's what's kept you going all this yeah. time. <laughs> that's your secret, Grandpa. That's fine. Whatever is working for you. <laughs> Um, do you have any idea what number episode we're on by now? Is uh, it 4,065? It, it, it sure feels like it's 63. 63. I'm not going to say that's a special number. I know that sometimes. Six, 
Divided in <laughs> half is three. 63. 63. 63. And what are we talking? Or do you want to say anything else before we get jump into this? Let's just jump into this today. Can we just jump into yeah, this? Yeah, let's just do it. Let's just do this thing let's today. Let's just do it. Ugh, I need some control in my life, Anna. Remind let's- us what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about self-esteem and being critical of ourselves and yeah, how bad to, self-esteem we kind of hit on. Yeah, and how to be a little nicer to ourselves, how we can be very critical. And while I listened to, was that a belch? At least you turned to the side. That was good of you. Yeah, I thought you weren't going to call me out because I didn't do it into the microphone. So I guess even when I, this is why I do it into the microphone. (laughs) I'm complimenting you for doing that. Thanks. Is that a peach schnapps burp? It tasted like peanut butter because oh. I had a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> oh, that's so. gross. No. Peanut butter and peach schnapps. Yeah, um, a good combination. <laughs> it's ironic that as I listen, because I do listen to our podcast yes. every week after you do all the hard work of editing. Yeah, look, it sounds because way different Like after, you make uh, it all shiny and then right. I listen to it and go, damn, that was good. <laughs> I, say, I polish a turd and then I say, mom, listen to this. And I said, that's the shiniest That's turd a shiny I ever turd. saw. So <laughs> as I was listening to it, I was being very self-critical, which seems ironic that I was listening to a podcast about... Not doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what we talked about last time. Yes. So how does that lead into what we're talking about today? Well... <laughs> Some people have a problem (laughs) (laughs) with the way they handle their self-esteem and the way that they portray their self-esteem to others. Yeah. And that can be very damaging in relationships and careers. Some people call it megalomania, but in the biz, we call it narcissistic personality disorder in the biz and you know we've talked about a couple of different things and and talked about how we've kind of made those diagnoses into cultural slang almost like yeah people throw around narcissism a lot sure yeah it's kind of become a thing that it's not but also just like everything else narcissism is on a spectrum right i'm so glad you said that there's thanks. There's like a lot of people that are maybe kind of narcissistic, but they probably don't fall into the narcissistic person. Personality disorders are generally pretty hard to diagnose. Like they're they have to be pretty pervasive and and stuff like that. So right, I think that's really important because we do use the term a lot socially and right. like you know especially in relationships and stuff. And oh, you're you're with a narcissist and right. There's this whole subreddit called Raised by Narcissists, mm. which is generally Generally, just a bunch of people who got, went through pretty uh, traumatic, like usually emotional abuse, sometimes physical abuse. Parents were not good caregivers, basically, but they kind mm. of lump it all in with that means your parent was a narcissist when that might not be the pattern that's there. It's just they're not good parents. Right. So it's just kind of become ambiguous right. because of cultural usage. So social psychologists look very much at the spectrum of narcissism. Narcissism. It's a hard. That's going to get harder to say. I know. I know. The more we say it, they're more into just looking at the evidence of that. As you said, on a spectrum. Clinically, as a counselor, we would look at specific things to say if a person has the personality disorder, which is is not. You know, that's like one point. It's not like a spectrum in itself. It's a diagnosis. Well, it's after a certain point on the spectrum. It's clinically significant. There you go. 
Thanks. So how do we be? How can we can we like start very clinically with like the clinical? Sure. We, um, definition. We can, can we talk about the narcissistic personality inventory first? Let's do that. So the narcissistic personality inventory is exactly what it N-P-I. sounds like. NPI. NPI. Uh, was developed in 1979 by Robert Raskin, which sounds like a Scooby Doo villain, <laughs> <laughs> and Calvin S. Hall, who just sounds like a normal ass dude. <laughs> He's Scooby's friend. He's, he's the shaggy of the relationship. <laughs> but this is a 40-question forced choice test, which is just means you have to choose A or B, and that it places you on basically a bell curve of how narcissistic you are. So I took this. Did you take this? No. Oh. I was afraid to. <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> well, because you're so narcissistic. Yeah. No, actually, I was because I got so into the rabbit hole of reading about how it doesn't really. It's more the spectrum. Yeah. Than the actual clinical diagnosis. No. Yeah. This isn't really used. It's just kind of to give you, like, it says, oh, if you score above a certain point, it may right. be clinically significant. But it's not like if you score this much, you have right. narcissistic personality disorder. NPD. Let's just call it NPD because I don't want to say narcissistic a whole bunch. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it, it's not like, like we have a bunch of inventories in psychology, like the Beck Depression Inventory, where it never says if you have a certain amount, you are diagnosed with depression. It's like if you have a certain amount, this is what your counselor probably will should look at. Right, right. It's so, not like we use those assessments as an end-all, be-all. Right. Yeah. So you took it. I did. How'd you do? I scored seven out of 40. <laughs> oh, so you're like on the other end. Well, okay, so the graph... So when we talk about like bell curves, it just means that when we plot the points of like what people score or like IQ falls on a bell curve, we talked about that before, mm-hmm. that means that the highest concentration of scores falls in the middle. Right. And then it declines as you go down either side. Does that make sense? I'm assuming that you're on one of the tails. You're not in the middle. Well, it's not really a pure bell curve for this. It goes zero, and then the highest point on the on the curve is like eight. Oh. And then it decreases steadily until it gets to 40. So I'm pretty middle. Like, I'm pretty... Like the average person. I'm pretty... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because the people on the other tail, like above eight, are going toward being more and more narcissistic. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty low when it gets to like 30, which they point at as the... If it's higher than 30, like, it's probably wee, clinical. Wee, wee. Hey, yeah. you're a narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> That one. Wee wee. And honestly, it's pretty obviously a test on what you think about yourself. Like a lot of these assessments are so very hard. So if you had hard. low self-esteem, you would score lower. Yeah, yeah. And most answers are pretty benign. Like there's one that says either compliments embarrass me versus I like to be complimented. So okay, but also both of those things can be true. Isn't that hard? Yeah. Because I mean, I like to get compliments, but I also always kind of struggle with yeah. with when people go on and it's like, okay, thank you. Let's not talk about this anymore. Right. And then there are some that are pretty upfront where it's like, I am much like everybody else versus I am an extraordinary person. But that being said, <laughs> if you have narcissism, you don't see the narcissistic answers as a red flag because right. they're obviously true about you. Right. right. So it's kind of... Yeah, like I said, it's the skewed bell curve where, what is that, the the mean is like eight. Uh-huh. That's right, the mean. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about what happens when that score gets high, when narcissism veers into a diagnosable personality disorder. Do you want to talk about the symptoms that the DSM mentions? So we talk about the DSM every now and then, don't we? Yeah. Why don't you talk about it? So the DSM 
According to the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, which manual. manual of psychology. So according to the DSM, you need at least five of the nine symptoms that they list to be officially diagnosed as NPD, which like people who we think of as really narcissistic, it's easy to point out these factors. So the nine that they list are a grandiose sense of self-importance, preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love, Belief that they are special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special people or institutions. They require excessive admiration. They have a sense of entitlement, especially believing that they deserve favorable treatment. They are interpersonally exploitative, so they take advantage of other people. They lack empathy. They are envious of others or they believe others are envious of them. And they are arrogant or haughty in their behaviors and attitudes. Okay, so Anna, one of the things that confuses me about narcissistic personality disorder is that idea that, I mean, all those things that you just listed, it makes us think of this person who really, obviously, thinks they're yeah. they're all that. Right. But yet, we're taught that actually what's underneath is a very weak self-esteem. I think it can be either. I think there are people who genuinely think they are, like, hot shit. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are some people who project that as a defense mechanism. Okay. So I think it's hard to tell which is which. Mm -hmm. But like most other diagnoses, when we talk about especially diagnosing a personality disorder, these symptoms have to be really consistent. They have to show up in a lot of varied situations, a lot of varied social situations. And they have to be severe enough to impair a person's life in some way. Although the person that has... NPD usually doesn't see that. Right. Like other people can see that. And that's a really important thing too that as counselors that we don't really see people come in and say, hey, I think I'm a narcissist. Right. That almost never happens. Right. Right. It's very much like actually a, a lot of personality disorders present like that. Like people don't come in for that. They come in because, oh, my life's falling apart or, oh, I think I have depression. And then as you work with them, you're like, I think they might be borderline. I think they might lack empathy. I think they might have any of these things. But mm-hmm. that's very infrequently what they say when they come in. Right. And if they even come in at all. Right. It's usually like like what I read, a lot of personality disorders come in with couples or families. Absolutely. So it's usually not them individually coming in. And another thing that often happens with NPD. <laughs> do I, I keep, say narcissism I keep, or do I, I not I say narcissism? Thinking, Man, that's a lot for my mouth. There's so many syllables. Um, is drug or alcohol yeah. use. And sometimes that's what brings them in. Substance abuse of some sort. Right. So I don't know about you, but but when I hear about it, the first thing I think about is the relationships. Yeah. Because we, I normally, the clients I deal with that have anything to do with narcissism is that I'm dealing with their partner. A relational problem. Right, yeah. right. And I don't ever really work with that person. Right. Although sometimes, as you said, you might be working with a person, eventually the other one of, of the couple comes in and you're like, oh, crap. You're like, aha. <laughs> uh, this is not going to be okay. easy. sure. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff sounds pretty lofty. Like when we talk about these symptoms, it's like, how do I know that's because a lot of it's like oh they believe this or they believe that and it's like okay many things that they can say (laughs) we have a perfect case study but mom won't let me say his name you can you can say it. he's a certain orange man who leads a country right now go ahead but it's like when we look at people who a lot of people peg as narcissistic even to the point of clinically diagnosing them 
you can kind of get that stuff from what they say. But in general, it might be a little more subtle. So it might look like, you know, their sense of superiority might look like being bored with conversations or monopolizing conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, they might usually exaggerate their skills and their accomplishments and, and who they know and what they've done. Their actions are usually pretty calculated, which is not true of a certain POTUS. So... <laughs> There you go. One one hit against him. But like even if they – and that's true for like – we were debating before we started recording how this is very close to antisocial personality disorder mm-hmm. and how these people are often really charming. And even when they get angry about something, which narcissistic people often get angry when they're faced with like failure or criticism or anything like that. Absolutely. So even when they're angry, they'll react really disproportionately, but it'll still be very calculated because mm-hmm. they still want to maintain that like – charming facade Mm -hmm. and actually these people are usually pretty charming pretty maybe high achieving because that high sense of confidence can be good i mean like we look at people who are very very confident and we're like wow okay sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it's a kind of believe in yourself and other people believe in you kind of thing well it goes back to that spectrum thing too that you can have some degree of narcissism that makes you very confident and and helps you to to succeed and to be a leader exactly yeah but the point is that you need to we always talk about balance anything can go too far right and when narcissism goes too far it looks inflexible it looks they're unable to admit when they're wrong or admit Mm -hmm. when they've failed or anything like that so it's it's that's when it starts to impede their life. Right. One of the things that I read was, and this goes kind of back to that weak self-esteem underneath, is the idea that it's not just that they believe they're the best, but they believe the fantasy that they're the best. Yeah. So then when someone starts to wash away that facade a little bit, right? all kinds of crap hits the fan. And like you said, Anna, that one of the things is that they get very angry mm-hmm. and, they, and they often twist things. Or tweet things. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Keep putting them in there, Anna. Keep putting them in there. One of the things that, that always sticks out to me is the gaslighting thing. Yeah. Let's just talk, do a, have let's we just talked do about gaslighting? gaslighting? Oh, gaslighting. If I don't you, think we've really delved into that, have we? If you've lived with someone who gaslights. Who you know. You know you're... Yeah. So what is gaslighting? Basically, gaslighting is when a person twists things to make it seem like reality is not reality. And that can go in a lot of directions. But often in relationships, it's like they make you actually believe you're the one. You're the crazy one. Who's crazy is yeah. literally the way you feel. Yeah. You, you're dealing with someone who's doing things that are unhealthy and illogical. And yet when you confront it or you try to deal with it, they twist it in such a way where you will 100% be saying, oh crap, it's me. Right. I'm the one who's illogical and I'm the one who's not healthy and... Gaslighting goes back to, I mean, the term comes from, isn't it a theater thing about gas, the gaslight? Oh, I don't know. I don't know where it comes I from. I think it's like a theater making things seem real that aren't real or That's not real. Apropos. Or, let's, let's look that up. But if you've ever been around a person who gaslights, the hard part is when you're in the midst of it, you can't see it because you're caught up in the, oh, crap, it's me. They really legitimately can manipulate you to the point where you believe that you're the one who's wrong. And this is really a huge, a huge red flag for a narcissist. The term originates in the systematic psychological manipulation of a victim by her husband in Patrick Hamilton's 1938 stage play, Gaslight. Ah, what's the theater thing, but... So so it was an example of it yes, it in was, that play. Yeah, okay. kind of the biggest example that was 
Okay. That's kind of what started the idea of it right. uh, to be named. Right. And so I think where gaslighting comes in a lot, often it's intentional, but also it can happen when a person who is more neurotypical is dealing with someone who is not. Right. And the neurotypical person is trying to ascribe like logical meaning to what the other person's doing. And they have to twist reality so much that they're not sure what's real. Mm-hmm. And the other person plays into that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that really ties in with NPD because narcissistic people don't want to admit that they were ever wrong. They don't want to say like, like a really benign example is if you go to your partner and you're like, hey, remember when we talked about this and we decided this together and your partner goes, we never talked about that. When you did talk about it and uh-huh. you remember it and, and you're you like, no, you did it. And you're like, mm-hmm. did we? Like you start to kind of go, oh my God, did I make that up? I mean. So one of the things that you can do if you're in a relationship where this is happening (laughs) is for one thing, write things down, Mm, um, which sounds really corny and almost like, you know, or take pictures or record or do something. If you are literally starting to question, oh crap, did I ever really not say that? Right. Because exactly what Anna, that's, oh, that's so real life, Anna, that that your partner will say, you didn't ever say that to me. You never told me that. And you know, you're saying to yourself, I know I told you this, but they can make you believe you didn't. And I do think that that can also happen with like memory. Like memory is notoriously terrible. So I do think there, like if this has ever happened to you, don't be like, oh my God, my partner's gaslighting me immediately. Because sometimes like- We just just, forget. Right, they maybe just didn't, yeah. Or like they weren't listening or something like and, that. And, it's, and if your partner has other issues, like you said, with memory or like yeah. ADHD or things that might cause them to not have that same. But by the same token, then you need to come up with a system where you maybe write something down right. and put it on the fridge. Or, or communicate you, by text or something. Yeah, and, so that you can go back and say, yeah, see, remember, I did right, tell you. right. Or that if you're me, who has a crappy memory, I can look back and say, oh, we did talk about that. Yeah, oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oops, sorry. we did that. And I mean, I've had clients, I've had personal experience where a person said to me, I'm not the one with the problem. You are the one with the problem. Right. So, and yeah, and it can I'm be not, pretty, pretty overt sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to just be a little here or a little there. It can be very, and that's one of the abusive sides mm-hmm. of being in a relationship with a narcissist. Right. Or an antisocial personality. Yeah. Those are kind of two of the biggest ones that, yeah. Cause might. antisocial personalities will, Gaslight. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap The heck there. out of you. Yeah. And it's important to remember also that especially personality disorders, but also a lot of other disorders too, can't be diagnosed until adulthood. So when we're talking about things that are narcissistic, remember that these can be pretty common in children. That's a good point. That usually fades, but also it's just because they don't really, like the morality development hasn't really reached a point where they know that like lying to cover their own butts is not a good idea or like their their empathy isn't truly right, children developed. children have to develop empathy. They yeah. Can't, they just don't, you know, I right. mean, they have some of it sometimes, but... Yeah, they have to develop it. That's a very good point, Anna. So it's not like you should be looking at your six-year-old and saying, oh my God. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Like, oh, they they lied. They're saying that they didn't do it. When I know they did, they're gaslighting me. They're narcissistic. That's not their kids. That's, that's, this is why we don't, we say, it even stipulates in the DSM, you can't diagnose this until they're 18. Right. Okay, so we've talked about that they tend to not take responsibility. Mm -hmm. They tend to lie and or gaslight. 
one of the things that we sometimes hear about narcissistic people in relationships is something called love bombing. Have you? I know that term, but I don't know. <laughs> and I mean, it doesn't I like happen. the term, actually. And actually, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like a real positive, positive thing, yeah. doesn't it? And it doesn't just have to be about a narcissist. It can be It can be in an abusive relationship. It can be like on a spectrum, love bombing would be positive. It's that idea that you are pouring on a whole lot of love, whether it's like buying gifts or flattery or a lot of affection, like really pouring it on to get the person to really get sucked in. Right. Because that, that way, I mean, that goes back to the cycle of violence that we've probably exactly. talked about, where in abusive relationships, the cycle of violence is basically like honeymoon period period, abuse, forgive, like apology, honeymoon period, and then it just repeats. Right. So yeah, that's the honeymoon period where as long as there's a honeymoon period, they'll take the abuse because, oh, they're not always bad. Right. It's that intermittent reinforcement that yeah. we talk about in behavioral modification. Dude, so, this direction's going in deep places, huh? I know. It's some serious stuff. So, and, and again, if your partner is a person who's very affectionate and very loving and, you know, don't freak out and say, oh, crap, they're yeah, love-bombing no, they're me. they're love-bombing me. Uh, um, <laughs> but I have a client who is recovering from a relationship with a husband who I believe has the personality disorder, uh, NPD. And, and there's even a term for people who have been in those kind of abusive relationships, narcissistic victim syndrome. Wow. So they named everything, man. Yeah. There's um, always acronyms. There's right. always things. And it's exactly what Anna just said, that it's hard to get out. It's hard to get out of a relationship with a narcissist for a couple of reasons. One is that intermittent reinforcement, that they do tend to pull you in. The other is that a lot of people with NPD are in a relationship with a very codependent person. Right. And so then you have to break that codependency. And the other thing you might think about too is that is that sometimes they get downright violent if you threaten to end the relationship. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where you've washed away that facade and you're saying, hey, you got some serious issues. I don't want to be in a relationship with you. And they feel all that vulnerability and, and this anger, just the rage just comes on. Yeah. And so they can get violent depending on what they're dealing with, depending on where their brain is. So if you want to go in a different direction, otherwise I'm going to ask you. No, I'm feeling like we're getting a little too heavy. So we're going to... We're going to do some trivia. <laughs> <laughs> Look over here. Yeah. There's nothing to see here about We're, serious narcissistic well, personality yeah. disorder that can kick your butt to the wall. Let's talk about some trivia, shall we? Yeah. Let's do that. I, I just, you mentioned like, you don't, there's a lot of hate and there's a lot of negativity. So I want to take a break and do some love trivia. Trivia about love. In the middle of this? Yeah. I want people to remember that we're talking about this deep stuff, but also love can be very positive and should be very positive. Well, and okay, so just let me say this. Okay. That if a person has NPD, it doesn't mean it's hopeless. No. There's treatment, which we'll talk about after Anna does her trivia. Yes. We'll talk about <laughs> how to best handle being in a relationship with that person and what treatment there would be Wait. available for a person who who is willing to admit or is willing to work on it. There's always hope. Sorry, I'm reading about math anxiety. <laughs> what? We should not have our computers in front of us. We should always that, have paper. That's too bad because I use it for recording and stuff. <laughs> Can we record with paper? I don't think so. Pick a number between 1 and 66. Good Lord. <laughs> 34. Okay. It's like the longest one. Oh, figures. <laughs> 
Many psychological and social research indicates that there is a significant pattern in how people choose people to establish romantic relationships with. This pattern is explained by the matching hypothesis. Oh, I just read about that today. And we've talked about it before, actually. I know. I just read about it. Okay, we're going to have to do that one. So it's like likeness. People look for people who are like them. Right. Which I have to argue with that sometimes because you see people and you're like, what? Why? Why are they together? They look nothing alike. I'm going to do 35 instead. A four-leaf clover is often considered good luck, but it is also part of an Irish love ritual. In some parts of Ireland, if a woman eats a four-leaf clover while thinking about a man, supposedly he will fall in love with her. Wow. (laughs) Four-leaf clovers are kind of hard to find, though. That's true. (laughs) Have you ever tried it? No. Don't say it's not true. Okay, question. Do I have to go to Ireland or can I use it in America? It has to be an Irish four-leaf clover. Mom's getting another shot. You're going to talk about love and squishy stuff. Do you want one? Yeah. It's been a while since we did shots, sipsters. Welcome to the program. (laughs) Clink. Clink. Can we reach? I don't know. Yeah, baby. Mm, It's good. It's peach schnapp, so it's not too uh, harsh. Yeah, we're not like doing wild turkey or anything. (laughs) She brings up wild turkey a lot. (laughs) I have, a traumatic, experience. I have a traumatic memory. <laughs> Don't trigger my traumatic okay. memories. Okay. All right. You had to do something not terrible because I didn't know this episode was going to get so terrible. I don't think it's as terrible. It must be triggering something in you. Possibly. Do you want to talk about that? No. <laughs> not after only two shots. <laughs> I've already had my therapy for this week. <laughs> Would it make you feel better to vent about a certain person who's a narcissist? Or would that make it worse? Which person? There's two people that I could vent about. Just the big orange dude. <laughs> I don't care. No. Can... Okay. I warned people that I would get political, but then before the episode, Mom's like, don't say his name. Well, like, I just... no one will know what I'm talking about. Okay, let... let... <laughs> <laughs> I'm an older person, and so I have this level of... Let's just kind of try Let's not rock to, the boat. No, let's just try to keep peace. And I know that's wrong, but that's just who I am. Okay, boomer. I'm, well, also, I'm talking about I'm Donald Trump. I'm also a middle child and that's I'm true. a boomer and I'm your mommy. And <laughs> I like things to be nice, but you can talk about it. I mean, I think it's pretty well I think accepted pretty, yeah. that the man is a narcissist. Yeah, I think I mean, even people, no... I think actually people who like, we're talking about Donald Trump, if you don't know. And if I haven't made it clear, I, I'm not fond of him. So I think people that even like him acknowledge that he's narcissistic, he's... but I think people like that about him. I think I think his Some supporters people, like that I, about I agree. Him. Some of the people like that, that very well, loud confidence. Well, exactly. And, it goes to that mm-hmm. like, often these people are really high achieving and have high levels of confidence. That's fine. That in itself is not a problem. But mm-hmm. when it gets to not willing to admit failure, not willing to admit when you're wrong about Mexico paying for a wall or something just off the top of my craw, yeah, it becomes a problem. Not having empathy for people. Exactly. is a big thing. Yeah. Tweeting dumb things. Tweeting dumb things, saying that we should put people in cages. There's a lot that I could talk about. You want another shot, Anna? I don't <laughs> I don't think I should. I don't think you want me to have another shot. Okay, so the point though that that this leads us to is that there are some extremes on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. There are some extremes that put people in powerful places. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, we talked in one of our episodes, we talked about cults. 
And so, like, uh, Charles Manson Honestly, or I think a Jim lot Jones. of cult leaders fall into either narcissistic or antisocial, if not both. Exactly. And so that's where the danger comes in, that people get caught into their charisma. Mm-hmm. And, and this can be, like, on a, a place where there's a leader and, and a following. Right. Or it can be in a relationship. You get caught into the charisma of this person, and then by the time you figure out, oh, crap, there's not a lot of balance going on here. It's a cult of personality rather than, like, following an ideal or something. Right, exactly. And so then you're all wrapped up in it, and it's very hard to get out of it. Right. And, and sometimes you can't see clear to get out of it because you've been so manipulated by their gaslighting and their lies right. that you really believe what they're saying because people believe what those leaders well, are saying. And then we get to this point where we don't want to admit we were wrong. That's very true. In following these people we don't want to say like oh I really made a mistake by like putting all my eggs in this basket so we can kind of double down like on these negative things that we have followed or believed because we don't want to seem weak right should we talk about subtypes yeah let's do that because there are okay so to clarify in the DSM there's not subtypes listed right but different people who have done research there's been a lot of empirical research yeah Mm. I mean which Surprises me a little. I think it would be hard to do research. Yeah. But how do they find people to... Because it is hard It's almost like you diagnose. Ha- somebody else has to point them out. <laughs> Here, I've got <laughs> one for you. To, if you think you have a narcissist <laughs> in your family, return this right. postcard. <laughs> Send us their info. <laughs> okay, what are the subtypes? So, okay, it's interesting because different people have suggested different subtypes and different amounts of subtypes. Uh, in 2015, a study about NPD suggested two subtypes. Grandiose, which obviously has grandiosity. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Uh, arrogance and boldness. So kind of the type of narcissism that we think of. And then there's vulnerable, which is the type that we were talking about before, mm-hmm. where it's defensive and hypersensitive to cover something. Mm-hmm. So it kind of breaks it into those two. That would be my client's ex-husband. The vulnerable type? Mm-hmm. That he had all that blustery to cover his own vulnerability, which was huge. Well, and we've kind of talked about <laughs> my birth father being... We've mentioned that my birth father was probably antisocial, but as we were doing this, we were like, maybe he's also narcissistic, because like like we said, there's some overlap there. Mm-hmm. I would say he's probably grandiose. Yeah. Where he just truly believes that he is the top of the chain. Yeah, there were moments being married to him where I thought I saw the vulnerable... But part? was that an act? Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's, that's. <sighs> I need another shot. <laughs> your mom screwing It's your the dad, but it was my ex-husband and well, wow. We could we get both into got, it. Yeah. We should probably just do a, a retrospective. <laughs> and then send it to We'd him. have to get real drunk. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, so actually before this, in 1996, a person named Theodore Milan suggested five subtypes, which is a lot. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, So the first one is called unprincipled, and they are amoral and disloyal and arrogant and exploitative of others. The second is amorous, which is sexually based, so it's seductive, and they're not usually really intimate with people, like actually truly intimate. It's just... They're just like womanizers. Yeah, it's like hedonism, and it's it's enticing. That's interesting, because when I hear that, I I think of like a femme fatale. I think of like a woman. Oh, really? I thought of a man right away. Uh, There's compensatory, which is kind of the vulnerable subtype from before that like counteracts feelings of inferiority with illusions of being superior and exceptional. Mm -hmm. So those kind of align. Then there's elitist. They feel privileged and empowered by the status of their 
achievements or even pseudo achievements, like things that they look at as achievements that aren't like really being president. Yeah. Well, and also, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So you're doing Softball. it now too. Well, and, tr- <laughs> and Trump was born to money, so he has that like built up Forever. sense of entitlement. Yeah. That's yeah. True. So that's really true. Yeah. Yeah. Often this entitlement has very little relation to reality. They are usually upwardly mobile like upward to a presidential status, perhaps. So yeah, I would qualify maybe the POTUS as elitist. Uh, and then there's normal, which is a very weird subtype to have. For what did you say? Normal? Normal. <laughs> yes. Okay. You heard that right. Well, is that like on the end of the spectrum where you just have enough to be healthy? Yeah, and- it says least severe. Uh, they say they actually have some personal empathy, like interpersonal empathy. That's they good. still feel entitled and bold. They're usually competitive. They feel unique. They're usually a leader, but they expect recognition from others. So it's kind of, yeah, like the least severe, like I said. Yeah. That all being said, the DSM still does not recognize any of these subtypes. It's just interesting to kind of further clarify what type of narcissism we're dealing with. Because especially, I think, if we were ever to deal with someone in a therapy context, it would help to get deeper into why they're acting like this. Right. Like, you would treat somebody differently if they're being a narcissist to cover their bad self-esteem versus if they're being a narcissist because they're elitist and they truly believe like I was born into this status and I deserve this like you would deal with those two people very differently I think right so that leads into the question of what causes people to Uh, have narcissistic personality disorder should I answer on behalf of all the scientists please do uh-huh Which is kind of our answer for why does any of it like all of them. I feel like that's that's mental whenever health. Whenever we talk about causes, we're health. like, okay, first of all, clarifying, we don't really know, Nobody but here's really our best knows. guess. And the best guesses are almost always the same. Yeah. Environment, nature, genetics, or nurture. Yeah. And and not only like nature, nurture, but like nurture could be either the parents were too permissive and spoiled yes, them rotten. I know. Or they were too critical and they didn't give them good self-esteem. <laughs> So pretty much anybody. So don't basically. go either side of the spectrum. Stay <laughs> Again, right in the middle. What is it? Balance. It's balance. What's the word? Balance. Let's all say it together. Should we just sisters. have a T-shirt that says balance. balance on it? I think so. Okay. Balance. You know what it is. <laughs> balance on the front and on the back. You know what it Everything's is. Everything's a spectrum. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Okay, Let's but I'm it. put I'm putting I'm putting it in a rainbow so people think it's an LGBT shirt. Happy Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's, but they've done genetic studies, like twin studies like twin and studies, stuff, yeah. yeah, and they say, yeah, there's a there's a genetic component, moderate to high heritability factor. That's scary. That's pretty high. That's scary for you and your brother. Shake <laughs> it off. Shake it off. We're not twins is what my brain just said and then oh. I was like that's not what she meant. <laughs> That's Thanks for talking shoot. back to your brain. Brain, shh. Brain, I'm not that's talking to you right stupid. now. That's dumb, dude. <laughs> no, don't say that. That's from our last sometimes episode. Sometimes my brain is dumb. I'm not dumb, but sometimes my brain is dumb. Okay. My brain I've, is simply piloting my meat suit. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> but is your brain your part of your soul? No. Separate. Really? Are you sure? Because yeah. then when you die and your soul is separate from your meat suit... Where's your brain playing all that? I mean, the the physical brain is still in your meat suit, but isn't your consciousness in your brain? Dude, I think we need to be high for this conversation. I know, I was going to say I'm not high enough for that. But I have, what what I meant was I I have this uh, 
really cool client who I really like working with. And she talks about things sometimes. I may have mentioned this before, but she'll talk about knowing things and knowing things. And for the people who can't see what I just did, she'll say knowing things and she'll tap her head and then knowing things, she'll tap her heart. So sometimes she talks about like the trauma that she's gone through and how that affects how she looks at things. So she'll go like, I know that and tap her head and go, but I I have a hard time knowing that and tap her heart. That's very insightful. Yeah. I like that. So I think it is worth it to differentiate a little bit. Mm -hmm. So Anna, if a person who has been diagnosed Mm -hmm. with narcissistic personality disorder would be your client, what type of therapy would you use? Psychotherapy is basically what the research says, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, as far as I can tell, just talk therapy. Is that what they mean? Talk therapy. That's what it is. Yeah. Because I was like, do they mean like psychoanalysis? No, they just mean talk therapy. I don't like when they say psychotherapy. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I read about using transference, though, which is a pretty psychoanalytical term. Uh-huh. Uh, so transference is, we've talked about that in episode 40, if you want to listen to a whole thing about transference. But transference at its most basic is when a client transfers feelings for someone else or themselves or a different issue onto the therapist and works through it that way. So right. they're basically saying that, and I think that goes to if they have underlying stuff that they're covering with narcissism, right. transference can help with that. But also I read about schema therapy being used. Yes. I didn't read much about what schema therapy, we talked about schema in Piaget episode, mm-hmm. in episode 42. That basically you need to help them realign their schema. Which a schema is how we group things in the world and how we look at things in the world. So it's a schema on like competition or like who they are in the oh okay in the schema of the world yeah okay yeah where they schema of themselves right right interesting okay Mm -hmm. sure but also just building empathy right. So we've talked a little bit before, I think, about how empathy, a lot of people think of empathy as like this inbuilt concept, like you either have empathy or you don't, or you have really high empathy or low empathy, but empathy can be practiced and built. Right. It's not just a, you have this level of empathy and that's it. Right. You can practice and build. So a lot of this is going to be like role playing to build empathy skills and like talking through different situations to build empathy skills. So just basically, and that kind of goes with, I think, adjusting their schema of like how their actions are hurting people. Right. And stuff like that. Exactly. I think about like when you when you're talking about that, because we've talked many times about that we're humanistic existentialist <laughs> therapists. God, that sounds so, so freaking... <laughs> I'm just putting a little grandiose thing in there. The idea that we make choices, that you have to make a choice. You have to choose who you want to be. Right. So even these people who struggle with NPD or even antisocial personality, if they choose, they can start to build empathy. But they they have to choose it, which is the hardest step. For everybody, but especially for this type of personality. Well, and it could take just a lot of work if they even continue therapy because I think that that's a hard line of you're trying to build rapport with this person. But as soon as you start to crack through that like, hey, have you thought maybe it's you? They'll be like, bye. Bye, yeah. I can. I will also mention that we talked about comor- comorbidity. That's such a hard word. Comorbidity and it how sounds so professional. Though. I love when you talk like that. I love when you use psychology terms <laughs> on our psychology podcast. <laughs> 
So yeah, if they have other stuff, like there's, like we talked about substance abuse being really, really high correlation. Uh, They also have a high correlation with depression, bipolar disorder, anorexia I saw was really high, uh, which makes sense if they're really vain and like Mm -hmm. obsessed with self-image and stuff like that. So it's really important to deal with the comorbid stuff and it actually might help to deal with that stuff first. Like if someone comes in for substance abuse and they're actually narcissistic, it's not going to help to like work on the narcissism no no you have to get them clean first right right so there's a lot of that too but like there's not any meds that work on narcissism or any of that stuff they so. might end up with some medication but it would be for, for like their bipolar comorbid. or yeah or yeah. yeah bipolar was another one that was often comorbid yeah, yeah. that's a scary mix it's a lot to deal well, with. Well, I think it it's points to, to like when we talk about the causes, like some of the causes for in terms of your upbringing are like severe emotional abuse or like unpredictable or unreliable caregiving or learned behavior from parents or peers. And a lot of those things are causes for a lot of disorders. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's going to be – it's. Like we talk about all the time that there's nothing in psychology that's like clear cut and obvious. Right. It's always a mix of stuff. It's never just like you have depression and nothing else. It's very true. So what would you say to a person who is in a relationship with a narcissistic personality? Reach out. Don't isolate. Good. That was kind of a quiz, but it wasn't. <laughs> I was going to say like, it looks like she was looking at that in her notes. And if I didn't say that, she was going to quit. <laughs> But no, like, but that's really important, especially if you're being gaslighted. Well, because you need someone to be your common sense filter. Yeah, I'll also say that to anyone who's in any relationship, don't isolate. Because I also think it's really hard to know if you're in a relationship with a narcissist because exactly. they do that love bombing. I will talk to people who think they know someone who's in a relationship with a narcissist. You might not be able to like straight on dress that. And right. in fact, if you do, that is more likely to alienate them and their partner will isolate them more. Right. So just be open, be a listener, be a safe place for that person to go that is non judgmental. That I know every fiber of your being wants to be like, get out of this terrible relationship. But mm-hmm. the more you do that, the more you're going to push them away because they truly believe their partner is great. Right. So because. The narcissist, as well as other abusers, will separate you from your support system and will try to get you to only hear them so that it's always important for us to to maintain a support system that's extended and not just our one significant person. Right. That's an important thing to do. Can I mention what Freud thought about narcissism? Please do, because we always like to listen to our boyfriend. I feel like every single episode I'm like looking up like, what did Freud say about this? <laughs> like, we're just putting an end cap on it by I like, like it. what did our boy say? So Freud thought narcissism was a defense mechanism, which we've kind of talked about. Uh-huh. I think that kind of goes with reaction formation too. I'm realizing that reaction formation is just... It's huge. Everywhere. That's why I like it so much. So reaction formation, if you haven't listened when the other 12 times we've talked about it, is when you really believe something. So you do the opposite. So like people like point at, oh, homophobics are actually gay right that's reaction formation if that is true if they People actually are like gay. porn or are out Anti-porn. picketing the yeah sure. picketing the porn theater yeah so basically it kind of goes back to what we were talking about like i have really bad self-esteem so i'm gonna project a really high level of self-esteem right right to, to cover that to defend that's definitely that. yeah and we talked about that just in the last episode yeah about the reaction formation with our self-esteem right 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he also said a lot about it being a throwback to infancy. It, it kind of relates back to id, ego, superego. He said that megalomania is essentially of an infantile nature and that as development proceeds, it is sacrificed to social considerations. So mm. basically, it's very id to be really narcissistic. And then as we grow older, our superego develops, which is like the what social people want or social mm-hmm. circumstances want. Doing what we're supposed to do. Right, like following the social mores and mm-hmm. stuff. And so the so- superego's like, id, no, you're not all that. You mm-hmm. have to stop and kind of like stamps it down so it's we fit in society. all about you. Yeah. Always count on Freud. <laughs> Good job, Floyd. Good job, Floyd. Good job. But didn't we talk about... I don't know. We skipped around a lot. I'm thinking we probably missed something. Oh, in my research, I saw some controversy that, like, there's a debate on whether narcissism is a real disorder. Did you see any of that? No. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't... I didn't read too much into it. There were some articles that were like, now some people say that narcissism isn't real. And I'm like, who are these people? What's going on? Really? Yeah, so... Probably a narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's not real. That's that doesn't not real. sound real, actually. Look over there at other yeah. things. But they, I mean, me. they say kind of what we said, which is like narcissism is a dimension of personality on which we all fall, which mm-hmm. is true. Mm-hmm. But that's stupid <laughs> because <laughs> like anxiety and depression are like spectrums on which we all fall. But if it goes too far, it's still diagnosable. Right. And no one's saying those aren't a thing. Actually, some people are saying those aren't a thing. So... There's always somebody who's going to say something's not a thing. Yeah, there's always somebody who's going to be like, you're not depressed, just walk outside. Right, shake it off. Just go for a walk. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Thanks, I'm cured. <laughs> I'm you so hacking glad into I the mainframe over there? It sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm actually just like going down my notes. <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> scrolling. It's just down buttons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going down, down, She's hacking down. into the, the White House. <laughs> I'm just kidding, NSA. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They heard you. I'm just fibbing. You should take the NPI. I want to see what you get. I'll take it later. I'll tell you how bad I am. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes, I don't know. I don't, well, like I said, I'm going to open it, actually. Let's hop back to the NPI for a second. Is it the actual NPI that you took? Or is it like a knockoff, do it online It's thing? from personality-testing.info. It's a PDF. Oh. But it has 40 questions, like the actual thing. And it's forced choice. I mean, it if it's not the actual thing, it's at least very much like it. Okay. But they're very, they're like, one is I will be a success versus I am not too concerned about success. And one is I am assertive versus I wish I were more assertive. They're pretty benign. What was the first one you said? About I'm a success. I will be a success or I am not too concerned about success. That doesn't seem like opposites. Well, again, it's like both of those things could be true. Like, I think I'll be successful, but it's not like a goal. I hate those tests where I hate all tests. (laughs) Let's put it out there. But I, I hate those tests where you look at him and you go well it could i could go either way you literally could go either way <laughs> you always make that face but it's frustrating to me yeah and then it depends on the day that you're taking it because maybe that day you're feeling a little more like assertive. i'm feeling myself yeah. yeah there's a lot about like being a leader there's a lot about liking my body yeah i have a strong will to power versus power for its own sake does not interest me huh I would prefer to be a leader versus it makes little difference to me whether I am a leader or not. I'd prefer to be a leader. That one would be one that I hit. Just because I don't want people telling me what to do. Don't be the boss of me. 
I am a born leader versus leadership is a quality that takes a long time to develop. Wow. That's a a deep one. It is. Huh. I am more capable than other people versus there is a lot I can learn from other people. That kind of depends on the the mood. Like right now in the world, it's like, (laughs) oh my gosh. It's like, oh my God. (laughs) Anne and I have been doing this thing a lot lately where it's just like, we just make a gesture toward the world. We, like I've been walking around. Uh, granted, we have some stressful things coming up in terms of our career development and stuff. But mm-hmm. I've been walking around with like a frown on my face. And my husband will be like, are you okay? Like he's really concerned about me. And I'm like, yeah, this is just how my face looks right now. And sometimes he'll be like, what's wrong? And I'll just kind of gesture vaguely toward the world. <laughs> like what's not wrong? We didn't start the fire. Yeah. That song should be updated for oh right God. now. That song should be like trending the top of the charts be, right know. now. That one and it's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. That yeah. was trending for a while I, when the whole virus I, started. I can understand that. Okay, so let's pull it back. All right, all right, all right. I think the summary for this episode is because I first think about the people who are living with people who perhaps are narcissists. And that is what we talked about. Keep your support systems Keep someone who is going to be your common sense filter close by in case you feel like you're being manipulated. The other thing is to, if you're making the choice to be in that relationship with that person, to realize that that person has to choose to be different. Right. You're not going to be able to change them. Right. And quite often, those kind of relationships can be damaging. Quite often. Not always, but quite often. Secondly, if you're listening and you're like, oh, crap, I think that that I might be a narcissist, then you probably aren't a narcissist. (laughs) Or if you're listening to this, like, why are they listening to those things like it's bad? Like, those are great, actually. You might be a narcissist. Right. So you probably won't admit that you're one. You're right. so or if you're listening, I guess it's not for if you're you. listening with somebody, I don't know if anyone does that. If you like listen like together, <laughs> and your partner keeps like throwing looks your way, you might be a narcissist. <laughs> or if your significant other plays just parts of this episode for you, <laughs> hey, listen to this. I what do you think about this? this? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Then we might have an issue. <laughs> you might be a narcissist. <laughs> right. But it all comes back down to balance again, because if we're all on the spectrum, it's okay to have some good, positive self-esteem. That's what we talked about in the last episode. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. Right. Um, Because it is important for us to be assertive and to feel good about ourselves and to be... So like, let's look at our last episode and this episode as two opposite sides of the spectrum and try to fall somewhere in the middle of those. (laughs) Right. Balance. Yeah. Balance. 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 Can I thank our listeners? Please do. Thank you, listeners. We are so glad to have you with us. Thank you so much. I'm sorry if we got a little heavy today. We got a little heavy. Do another trivia. Give us one more. Give us one more love. I'm not sure how love trivia fits in with narcissism, but we're let's talking just about relationships and stuff. Oh, okay. Love is always some. applicable. Okay, you're so mushy, squishy, mushy, squishy girl. These are not like trivia. They're just like things. Yeah, just statements about. Yeah. Okay. Oh no. Oh, no. Rejection temporarily lowers our IQ. (laughs) Oh, I believe that. Well, I don't know if it actually, that doesn't make sense. It makes you feel kind of like you can't focus. Yeah. So you might test lower on a. Yeah, I don't know if it actually lowers your IQ. Yeah, because your IQ is constant, isn't it? IQ is fake. IQ is a social (laughs) construct. (laughs) We had a whole episode about that. Breaking up with someone you love triggers activity in the same part of the brain responsible for physical pain. That's why a broken heart. If you've ever had a broken heart, you can actually feel that. Mm-hmm. You can feel your heart breaking. I I know that's true. Wow. 
The Mexican chief Montezuma considered chocolate a love drug and drank 50 cups of chocolate a day before visiting his harem of 600 women. Wouldn't you be bloated and not gonna, able to? I mean, I'm going to uh, do 600. That's 12 there's, women per one cup. There's so much to say about that. How many? I Let's do an episode on that. <laughs> on Montezuma? I think so. It sounds like he's got a lot. We could talk about a lot of things. That's a good case study, bud. Yeah. Let's look into that for future reference. Okay. All right. Sipsters, thank you so much Sorry. for being yeah, with thank us. You. Got, a little, got a little off track there, but please join us again next time. We'll be so happy to have you with us. Yes. Thank you so much. As always, you can follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on everything. Our site is FreudianSipsPod.com. You can find our episodes. You can find our merch link. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. We're on Patreon if you want to support the show. We haven't uploaded chapters in a while. Whoops. We will soon. Sorry. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review wherever you can do that. We love hearing from you. It helps our narcissism <laughs> a little bit. Please join us next time. And for now, our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. And it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.